This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right, thank you very much. And hello again, radio friends. How in the world are you? <laughs> you doing all right? Bless your heart. I hope you are. I'm glad to be back with you. This is your friend, Dr. Cook, and I'm here to share with you from the Word of God. Try to put a handle on it so that you can get hold of it for yourself. God's Word is forever true, whether or not anyone reads or believes it. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. God's Word is alive. It has power, but it becomes useful and available to you and to me when we apply it to ourselves. My job, therefore, through these past years, nearly a quarter of a century now since I began with the King's Hour, is to put a handle on God's Word so that you can apply it to your own life. I trust that that may be so for you, beloved, today. I've been praying that God's blessing and truth and power and His love, most of all, may come through to you through my voice. You get yelled at enough, don't you? Maybe somebody that understands and loves and cares might be pretty useful from time to time. Well, here I am, and I'm talking with you about the last verse of Psalm 23 under the heading of goodness. Paul says goodness and mercy, not Paul, David, says goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we went uh, here and there looking at some of the truths about God's goodness. And we got then down to Romans 12, where the job of the spirit-filled believer is to prove that God's will is indeed good and acceptable and perfect. Now, how does the goodness of God's will become real to you? That was where we left off the last time, I believe. The goodness of God's will becomes real to you when you present yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is something devoted to God, involves a life, not just something done. It's a, a sacrifice is something that affects the relationship between you and God. And it uh, is a holy sacrifice, Paul says, imputed holiness imputed by the grace of God and then imparted to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, finishes out that first verse of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You never know the goodness of God until you've given yourself over completely to him. There is that strange reluctance that all of us have. I'm sure you do. I know I do. A strange reluctance born, I suppose, of the fact that we're sinners by nature and by choice. Reluctance to turn ourselves and our destiny and the unknown variants of the future all over to God. But when you do that, in the light of Romans 12:1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is something utterly devoted, has no other use. A sacrifice involves a life given over. The person who was a sacrifice, the person who was going to be crucified, for instance, the lamb that was going to the, to the sacrificial altar had no further plans, was not coming back again. And it involves a change in relationship between the sacrificer and God. So when you give yourself to the Lord in that way, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you begin to know then and only then the depths and the wonder 
of the goodness of God, how good God is to you and to me. Now, you know something about the goodness of God when you realize that you don't have to be uh, jammed into the world's mold. You don't have to be formed with the world's cookie cutter, for example. In uh, Romans 12, 2 in the Greek New Testament, the verb there, suschematas, uh, it, it has to do with being schematized. Don't operate by the world's blueprint or don't be jammed into the world's mold. Don't copy the world's methods. And when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the world of trees and flowers and mountains and, and uh, uh, babbling brooks and sunsets. That is not the kind of world we're talking about. The world, as it's used in this passage and in many other passages in the Bible, has to do with the world system. That is to say, the spirit of the world, the spirit of this age that is dominated by Satan, the selfish, uh, you have, please yourself first. You don't need God. You can better yourself by disobeying God, the ancient lie that Satan told in the Garden of Eden. That's the spirit of the world. He said, you don't have to copy the spirit of the world. Aren't you glad that's so? Have you learned that, young person? It's awfully hard in your teens and it, uh, the, that peer pressure goes clear down into junior high and into the elementary grades as well, doesn't it? I can, I'm not so old, but that I can remember some of those, those feelings that I had as a, uh, a boy and then a young man coming on up through the teens. Peer pressure is a tremendous thing, and people say, oh, come on, do it. Don't be a, don't be a, a wet blanket. Don't be an oddball. Don't, you know, don't, you're, well, you are so funny, Cook. Why don't you just join with us? Peer pressure. But have you discovered you don't have to cave in to the pressure of the world? Have you discovered the television has a knob on it that you can turn off that show that is dirty? Huh? Have you discovered that you don't have to try drugs to know that they hurt you? Uh, I have a uh, saying that I've used for a good many years with the college people. You don't have to eat garbage to know that it is garbage. You know, the popular theory in, in liberal education through the past uh, oh, half a century or more generally has been that you have to sample the, the uh, uh, prurient and the obscene in order to know about, quote, life, unquote. Well, you get close enough to a dump, you'll know it's a dump. And you get close enough to garbage, you'll know it's garbage. And you don't have to sample it in order to know that. That's my point. You don't have to be jammed into the world's mold. You don't have to be tarred with the world's brush. You who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, says Peter, ready to be revealed at the last day. Don't be schematized with the world. Don't be conformed, jammed into the world's mold, built according to the world's blueprint, living according to the world's standards. Caving in to the world's peer pressure. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can say no, and you can do so successfully. See, the great fear is if I say no, I'll be snubbed and I won't be anybody. I won't have any friends and I won't be anybody. And, and I won't amount to anything if I say no to peer pressure about drugs, about sex, about uh, various other things that would grieve the Spirit of God in my life. If I say no to the gang, then what? I'll be an oddball. I'll be left out. I won't be invited to their parties. I won't be. They won't be friends with me. I won't have any friends. You know, I can just hear all that goes through your mind 
my young friend, because it went through mine as well. Now the fact of the matter is far different. You can say no to the world system by the grace of God. He strengthens you. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anything God asks you to do, he'll enable you to do. And so you can say no to the pressures of the world. And in so doing, you are not, you're not going to do it smugly and in a pharisaical fashion as if to say, well, I'm better than you, so there I don't do this. No, no, that isn't the point. You simply refuse to be drawn in to these various things because you know you've got something better. Something better. Here's a young fellow that's gone out for football. Now, his diet up to that point has consisted of French fries, hamburgers, uh, candy bars, milkshakes, and the like. All of it junk food, and uh, while it uh, nourishes his body to a point, it's not all that good for him. Now he goes out for football, and all of a sudden he comes home and says, Ma, i got to have a lot of green leafy vegetables, and i got to have a lot of lean meat, and uh, so on. Well, she says, son, I think you're sick. No, he said, I'm not sick. He said, I've got to have all of this, I've, and, and I've got to get to bed early, got to get a lot of sleep. She said, I know you're sick now. You never wanted to go to bed before. No, he said, I'm not sick. I made the team today. And the coach says that we got to do this, and we're going to beat old Siwash this year, and his face lights up in anticipation of that projected victory over their traditional rival, Siwash High School, you know. Well... Why is he willing to change and not gorge himself on French fries and hamburgers and milkshakes and the like? Why is he willing to do something that he was not willing to do before? Because he has something so much better. Paul said in Philippians, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuse that I may win Christ and be found in him. I got something so much better, he said. You'll never know how good God is until you're willing to to turn away from the world system for his sake, because he is so much better. Think now, is the Lord Jesus Christ better to you than drugs? Is he better to you than alcohol? Is he better to you than illicit sex? Is he better to you than the occasional shoplifting trip where you snatch a few things uh, slyly from a counter and go home to gloat? Is he better to you than cheating on wife or husband? Is Jesus any better than that? And the answer, obviously, is, oh, yes, he is. Well, if that be so, choose him. Choose him. Choose Christ. It is a positive choice, not a negative drawing back. It's a positive choice to choose the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his will for you. You don't have to be jammed into the world's mold. One of the great desires of youth is a kind of an ambivalent desire. You want to be different and yet you want to be accepted by the crowd. In the days when they were having what they call duck-tailed haircuts, everybody had a duck-tailed haircut. Recently, uh, some of the boys got one of these uh, at, at uh, college uh, two, three years ago. Uh, before I left as president, the, uh, some of the fellas got these mohawk uh, haircuts, you know, like Mr. T, and they came around. Well, it was their bid for attention, and they got it all right. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to try to get attention. You can 
decide what it is you're living for. You can refuse to be jammed into somebody else's mold or somebody else's ideas or somebody else's standards. And you can be true to your blessed Lord Jesus. And in the process, when the day is finished and you turn out the pockets of memory and look at what's gone on, you can say, thank God, I put him first. Jesus, I put you first. Oh, God, you're so good to me. And you'll be able to look and see where the Lord guided you and where he used you and where he blessed you. And you'll have that blessed, wonderful, delicious feeling of well-being in your soul because he refused to be jammed into the world's cookie-cutter mold. That's part of what is involved in knowing and displaying the goodness of God. Dear Father, today, keep us true to Thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.